I can't tell you how many kids, if they if they come for a field trip or even just with their family, they'll buy a little stuffed tiger, a little souvenir. And the first thing I always ask is, what are you going to name the tiger? And nine times out of ten, if it's a white tiger, they're naming it Jasmine. And uh, I oh, said, that's yeah. a great name. That's my little princess. That's why I named her after the Aladdin movie. Yeah. I said, that's my princess. That's a great name. Or, or I want to name it Diego, like, because he was so big. And, you know, it just shows just the importance of their names on helping these kids to make a connection. And yes. something that they're not just taking home a souvenir, but they're taking home memories that are that are going to last a lifetime. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. I'm excited to have a guest on the show today who I have long admired for his animal care. And now he and his family have created a beautiful tiger preserve, the Growler Pines Tiger Preserve. It's in Hugo, Oklahoma, which is near the Texas border. Ryan Easley and his wife Elaine and their daughter Lily have actually built the entire preserve and they used to be on the road a bit with their tigers and then they would come home to their property in the winters. After COVID, they had a chance to really keep building and now they stay home and offer opportunities for the public to come to the preserve. It's a great conversation about why it's so important for people to see these animals and how close they could get at some of these smaller facilities. And Ryan does a demonstration, a show, where people get to see the personalities and of the cats and see Ryan interact with them. So a, a very up-close and personal experience. But more importantly, an opportunity for people to really engage and see animals and have the desire to care for them. That's what's at the heart of what they do and what I believe is important with our animals. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Ryan Easley. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, we sure appreciate you having me. Oh, it's great to have you. You're one of the people early on as uh I, I tech I message you a lot. I, I you're one of my go-to people on some of the animal stuff and and elephant stuff. You're which I didn't know initially. You're quite the expert on the elephants in the United States. But let's talk about your amazing place. So tell us uh, tell us your background and then about uh, Growler Pines. All right. Well, I, you know I appreciate you having me. We. Uh... My family and I founded Growler Pines Tiger Preserve here in Hugo, Oklahoma, uh, just a couple of years ago. This week, actually, we're celebrating our two-year anniversary of being open to the public. We traveled for a long time with the circus. Um, I, myself, ran away with the circus when I was 21. I always wanted to work with exotic animals, volunteered a lot at zoos. Um, I visited the Kelly Miller Circus, met the trainer. He offered me an apprenticeship, and I ran away with the circus. Um so we traveled, uh, uh, he started teaching me how to take care of the tigers and eventually he retired and I took over and, uh, we traveled with circuses there for, for the last, uh, for about well over 10 years. I COVID has changed my perception of time. So I lose track of no which kidding, years, which, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, so we were, we were really, uh, we, we had a very short, I guess, in, in the big scheme of things, but a great career traveling. And then of course, COVID shut down the world and we found ourselves stuck at home. And fortunately we had just bought our property and it gave us the opportunity to start building our, what we wanted to be our forever home for the animals. And of course with COVID it was, you know, 14 days, you know, two weeks turned into two months, which turned into, you know, forever. And we made the decision to stay home. And as we continued to build our home here, we eventually opened our doors to the public so that we could continue to have income to be able to provide for the animals and to continue to grow and build and not only offer a home, a retirement home for our animals from traveling, but we've been able to take in some other animals that were in need of a better home as well. Awesome. Yeah. Are they cats as well? Yes. Okay. Yep. We have 10 tigers right now that we give home to. Okay. Tell us about the tigers. What do you stock have? and more. <laughs> What's that? 
Tell us about the Tigers, what you, um, what, what, uh, I guess, species they are and um, like what you do when people come to, it's called Growler Pines Tiger Preserve, correct? Yes. <clears throat> so we, uh, uh, we have 10 tigers that so we give home to you right now. Um, my oldest is 14. She is the youngest of my original group that I began working with 14 years ago. Uh, the six of our younger tigers, all I have added to our group over the years. Um, they all were born at different zoos or animal parks before they were given to us. And then we have three other tigers that were given to us last year that those that were in need of a better home. All of them have, they all have mixed heritage. They're not pure blood in the sense of, of pure genetics as far as a subspecies. It has been illegal since the 1970s to import tigers from the wild. Uh, and even some of the some of the breeding programs here in the United States that do focus purely on genetics, they do not even work toward helping to sustain the population breeding wise for all five sub surviving subspecies of tigers. They only support three different subspecies. Okay. And so all of our tigers, at whether you know whether they needed a, another home or they didn't fit into a breeding program or just simply because of our reputation and because of our inspection record for the care of our animals, those facilities knew that those animals would have a good home and helps us to expand and it helps us to continue to, uh, to continue to share our animals and, and to grow our, our group and our, and our family and, and being able to share them and continue our, our conservation efforts as well. Great. What's the name of the oldest tiger? Her, her name's Zaya. She's 14 years old. She's uh, she's my finger painter. We we uh, we're the only ones in the world that finger paint with a tiger like we do. And uh, explain we make that. What, what does that mean? Give us give us a visual on that. What does that mean to finger paint so, with yeah. a tiger? So uh, it's uh, it's much more comfortable when it's a little bit cooler because it's like I'm wearing a tiger coat here <laughs> on some of these hundred degree tours we've been having recently. But Zaya sits on one of our pedestals behind me, and. It's, it's real easy. I guide her through the motions. I pick up her foot while she's leaning on my shoulder. Half the time she's oh, licking I my see. face. So I get that, <laughs> I get that, uh, uh, real close contact is like I said, nothing, nothing like hot tiger breath on the back of your neck when it's a hundred degrees outside. Yeah. But we pick up her foot, get it all cleaned off. We, we just apply, uh, we, we spread out some kids washable finger paint on a plate and I use her foot. We, we dip it in the paint and then we stamp our, uh, uh, stretch canvases. Oh, okay. We make paw print paintings. Right. It's something that we offer in our gift shop. It's it's a very unique item. Everyone is obviously different. Uh, no one else in the world finger paints with a tiger like we do. And it's something that's really helped us um, kind of set us apart from a lot of other uh, um, uh, tiger interactions and, uh, and gift shop items as well. Right. Yeah, you have the great flag... Uh with the paw print up in the corner, the flag T-shirt, which I love, I uh, just saw online. So, I've yeah, I've, we we started we started with canvas flags, and and those she stamps every single one. But with the T-shirts, it's something we had a lot of requests for. But obviously, we use kids' washable finger paint. So the first time you wear that shirt out in the rain, it's, <laughs> paw print's going to wash away. It's not going to be very special anymore. Right. So we have a uh, everything that we have in our gift shop here at Growler Pines is. Uh, Except for some of the toys, everything else is made locally. Our shirts, um, our coasters, our jewelry, everything is made either by family or friends or uh, or uh, vendors that have since become friends. And so we have a, a great woman that makes everything here local, and we try to support local as much as we can as well. Awesome. In addition to uh, where where are you located? Where we're in Hugo, Oklahoma. Okay. Southeast Oklahoma, uh, formerly known as Circus City, USA. Yeah. It's been home to over. 40 or 50 something circuses over the Absolutely. 60 or 80 years. I don't, don't have the statistics in front of me. Um, yeah, we're just about, we're about 10 miles North of the Texas border. Okay. Yep. And, uh, back to your gift shop. Um, I tell us a little about your gift shop manager. <laughs> I no. love it in your posts, um, <laughs> that you say this is our crew and your gift shop manager. So. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, we had, we had a tour yesterday, uh, one of our, our public tours and one of our visitors pointed out, he said, I just, I want to compliment you on, on how 
professional and how well built everything is. And, and that was yeah. a huge compliment to me because you're working with the animals is a big part of the day, but we're, we're not a big, you know, corporate institution here. Browler Pines is, is my wife, Elaine, myself and, and our daughter, Lily. Uh, there is nothing here that we have not done ourselves other than, you know, the occasional uh, help from a, from a family member that's, that's visiting or right. Yeah. That helps out. We don't, uh, you know, everybody says they want to volunteer, but volunteering for us would, you know, help mow to give us, give us an extra day of the week. Right. It's not just, <laughs> just not liaising with the tigers. It's actually, exactly. yeah, I, I give exactly. you all the credit in the world. I know your wife. Well, uh, Elaine, who also comes from an animal training family, very talented family in many ways, but also, uh, not only the performance side in the animal care, but the welding and the building in that she's she's a phenom on that as are you and i i had the good good fortune to visit you folks this was it was right after covid cuz you were telling me this was going to be a couple of months and then we were going to go back on the road and come back and you were welding every piece and building every piece of that place and it is done well it's beautiful and lily um, knows the value of sweat equity. Let's just say she's, I asked about the gift shop manager. Cause usually you'll say, or our concession manager, I don't know, something like that on your Facebook post, you'll put, um, our concession manager and there's your little girl smiling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when we, when we first prepared to open our doors, uh, that was back in, uh, June of 2021 is when we first opened, um, to that point, Lily, Lily said she wanted to be our concession manager. And I don't know where she got that idea, but, but I obliged. <laughs> hey, and, there's uh, money in the front that end. That's mis- where she got it. They it's, always tell you on a yeah, circus, yeah. you should be in the concession department. <laughs> yes. I, uh, she, uh, I, I think what she does best is like me knew everything that I do wrong every day. She's always, no, no, that doesn't go there. Oh, you didn't do this. Oh, you need to do this. Yeah. But she's truly been a wonderful help. And, and I'm very blessed to be able to raise her in an environment where we have such a close family, but also teaching her the importance of hard work and, and everybody pulling their own weight and everybody yeah. participating. Um, while she did grow up on the circus a little bit, you know, it's not near as much as we would have hoped for her. And so we're able to still teach her some of those lessons here. When, uh, when we first came off the road, uh, again, you know, we took advantage of the free time and, and we just started building the perimeter fence, mm-hmm. you know, simple USDA regulation. First thing that you need secondary containment for the animals and primary to keep people where they're not supposed to be. And on that entire fence line, I don't think she was six years old. There wasn't a post that she did not help me set in concrete, whether we were digging the holes, she's helping me drive the Bobcat. Yep. We're mixing the concrete. She did a wonderful job helping us out. And uh, you got to love that. We My, just uh, I grew up on shows and I have two kids who are adults now, but they wrote for their college essays. They utilized the, the time they spent on circuses with me over the summers to talk about mm-hmm. what hard work means and the, the culture and how people come together and understanding that, you know, hard work is part of it and feeling very privileged to have have that background. And uh, so. I completely understand. Yeah. I'm talking with Ryan Easley. He is the founder, along with his wife, Elaine, of Growler Pines Tiger Preserve. And we're talking about how they they literally built this pole by pole and welded every piece of it. And again, I was there watching on the early stage. You just made, you said something so lightly. You said, yeah, we just put up the, the, the fence for the animals and then the fence to keep the people out. A fence for cats is, is it eight feet? How high? This is not just a fence, right? This is serious business. Yeah, the, the first, the first perimeter fence that Lily helped me with is nine foot tall. Yeah. Um, every, everything that we do exceeds the current federal regulations. Yeah. So if they ever come back and say, we want to change it, we're already exceeding it. And if they say that eight foot is safe, that's why we built ours at nine foot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our perimeter fence is nine foot tall, but our tiger fences themselves, 16 foot is the federal regulation. All of ours are anywhere from 17 to 20 foot, depending on, depending right. on the location. Here. Yeah. And I know you so, have different yeah, we, <laughs> paddocks, if you will. So the cats are in different areas and then you can come together in like the, the show arena, if you will, 
that's what I saw when I was out there. So you've got them kind of separated as yeah. those who get together yeah, having so, something new. Yep. We, we, last year we opened up our new South habitat. It's about 22,000 square feet. Um, we're getting ready to actually this week dig an 1100 gallon pool in there for there. We had a very generous donor reach out and offer to help us with uh, replacing our pools. So we've got that going. Oh, great. Good. Tigers in the wild, but yeah, we're very, very blessed. We, while we built everything ourselves here, we would never have been able to do so without the support of friends and family and, and some very, very, very generous benefactors who have seen what we've done and support our mission and, and believe in, in what we do. Um, yeah. But yeah, we have, we have different areas for the tigers. Uh, tigers in the wild are solitary. They do not live together at all. They only come together for, for fighting over territory, for breeding or, or for raising cubs. But all of ours have grown up in human care. A lot of them have grown up together. And so they've all developed different relationships. And so they all live in different groups throughout the day based on how they get along. And we'll rotate those groups and we'll rotate them through the different areas to, to switch up their day. And uh, then, yes, we'll, we'll all come together when it's time to, when it's time to work because kind of like kids in a classroom, we all, we all do much better when we have supervision and, and guidance. Yeah. Great. And I know you're, you're, uh, you know, a five stars on TripAdvisor and uh, every, I, I know from your social media that people who come are so impressed with it. So Ryan, I'm, let's say I'm not an animal person and um, I see that you have a tiger preserve and I'm somebody who loves and cares about animals, but I support like the Humane Society or the ASPCA with my dollars. And you're out working hard, taking care of these animals and ensuring a good life. What do you say to those people who are really care about animals, but sometimes misguided, sometimes putting funding uh, somewhere it could be better utilized? What, what do you say? I know you must encounter that. So what would you say to those folks? How do you convince them or get them to understand there might be a better way to care for animals and organizations who use their money actually towards animals. Yeah. The, the best thing that you can ever do as a, uh, as a custodian of your own dollars is making your own opinions based on your own observations and, and certainly practicing your own due diligence to make sure when you donate a dollar that that dollar is going to where it, it needs to. Um, I've got a couple, couple examples here for you. First, um, when we, when we started our conservation work, uh, primarily we don't, we don't just do so through education, but we put our money where our mouth is. Now, when we traveled with the circus, we were in a much more stable financial situation where we could give a lot more because we had that guaranteed income from traveling with different shows. When I first started wanting to, to reach out, uh, I contacted the International Elephant Foundation. They have an incredible reputation, um, uh, responsible, um, the, a lot of the individuals that work and support that group. I reached out to them and said, hey, look, this is what I want to do for tigers. I want to donate money. I want to make sure, you know, this is my, these are my dollars. I want to make sure that they are going somewhere that they are going to do the most good. And I'm not paying somebody to sit behind a desk. I'm not paying somebody to put up a billboard. I want to know that my dollars are, are making a real impact. And so they said, yeah, absolutely. Let us look into this and, and we'll get back with you. And a little while later, this was, well, it's about seven years ago now, I guess. Time flies. Yeah, <laughs> um, it does. About seven years ago. Yeah. They, uh, they, they reached out to me and said, Hey, look, this is, uh, you know, what, what would you think of this? And long story short, what we ended up doing was we, we made a pledge of $5,000 that first year and that money that we donated, it helped to increase patrols in Sumatra in the way Combus national park. And what our specifically what our patrols did was helped to increase patrols in a part of the, the, the national park there where patrols were lesser and there was more of a tiger population, but they knew that they had seen increased activity by poachers. And so we helped to spur extra patrols, uh, river patrols specifically 
to to uh, to increase protection for tigers. And and when you're increasing, this was specifically something that was more tiger oriented. But when you're protecting habitat, you're not just protecting tiger habitat. You're right. protecting the habitat of their prey as well, which is obviously an, an incredibly important part of, of protecting the species. And, you know, not to mention Sumatran elephants, rhinos, orangutans, right. you're protecting some of the, the most endangered species in the world. Yeah, you're protecting the ecosystem to, to survive Absolutely. and thrive in the way it's meant to be. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we supported those, we supported those patrols for two years. Uh, it was $5,000 a year. In 2018, I really was motivated and I doubled my annual pledge to $10,000 a year. We made that announcement at the, well, I can't remember the name of the shrine group now, but the Green Bay, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin shrine circus. We announced during the show that we were doubling our annual pledge to $10,000 a year. And for that year and the following year, when we also continued to do so, we helped to restart patrols in the Seblot Nature Park. It's a part a little bit further north in Sumatra. Those patrols had been had been paused for several years. And so we our our extra five thousand dollars was helping to restart those patrols on a on a um, on a trial basis to make sure that everything was going as planned. This was to the international and we continue to do so for another, this is to the international, the international elephant, elephant right. foundation. Okay, great. Yeah. And, uh, and to support that, we, uh, I, I think I've really gotten off topic from your original question. No, no, this is great. We, uh, when we started, uh, when, when I doubled my annual pledge there, you know, it was great to say on paper, Hey, we're going to donate $10,000 this year. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my gosh. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And so what we did um, during those four during those four summers when we started our conservation work until until COVID hit, we spent our summers at a place called Circus World Museum. I, I know that you're familiar with there. You you grew up there. I grew up there. Up there yes. in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Idyllic childhood. Yes. So, yes. So uh, we spent our summers there, and so in 2018 and 2019 we held two annual fundraisers. I called it an evening with tigers. And we, we, we sold tickets to that event. We offered special activities. A friend of mine catered all of the food. Hi, Lily. <laughs> Can you say hi? Thank you. Uh, a friend of mine catered the food. Uh, we had a silent auction. We had donations. Uh, we had some stuff, extra special stuff for sale. The, the first year on that annual fundraiser, the first year we raised about $6,500. The second year we raised the full $10,000 just on Fantastic. that one. Yeah. And, uh, so they was, it was, it was great. And when we were to return in 2020 for our fifth year, we had, we had a lot more planned. We were actually going to host a, a, a second fundraiser. It was going to be oriented toward animal art to, to, uh, to go in hand or in paw, I guess I should say, with finger <laughs> painting with our tigers. We were going to uh, feature a lot of artwork made by animals around the country at different zoos that I had friends donate um, for this event. And we were also going to tie this in with the with the old Ringling Animal Houses that were right across from where we presented our tigers yeah. there next to the Baraboo yeah. River. But of course, COVID hit and that, that kind of fell apart. So we, but we're, we are continuing our conservation work, although sadly on a much smaller scale, the, the International Elephant Foundation reached out to us about three years ago and asked us about starting to help support a new project. Um, it's, it's different. We're now working in Nepal in the Bardia National Park. Now, Nepal has a story a little bit different than Sumatra. Instead of trying to protect one of the world's smallest tiger populations, Nepal has been successful in more than doubling their amount of wild tigers over the past five years. It's, wow. a, it's an incredible success story. Um, unfortunately, with a growing amount of apex predators comes the threat of conflict as mm -hmm. people and animals are competing for the same space. And of the approximately 100 wild tigers that live in the Bardia National Park, 14 people a year are killed on average by those animals. And so we're working to help prevent this conflict through public education campaigns and the purchase of camera traps or, or game cameras to monitor local tiger movement. Uh, one success story is there was a, a male tiger that was responsible for 
attacks and killing of, of at least four different individuals over a very short time period. Uh, within an hour or two of one of these attacks, the team was able to deploy one of the camera traps through through identifying this particular animal by his stripes. We were able to find that he was the culprit for these attacks. That animal was able to be safely removed from the population. So not only does it prevent um, any further attacks on people, but it also helps to prevent any retali- any retaliation by the public right. for for right. this animal, this particular animal's actions. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it goes to show you can, you can protect habitat as much as you want and get them breeding, get them for tigers breed easily. That's not the problem. It's, but once you have the tigers, then we've got to, you know, there, then there are subsequent consequences, uh, to those actions and, and we have to right. work to alleviate, alleviate those problems. We always hear, and you know, this when we're on social media, particularly, and my podcast comes from this perspective, uh, I'll lay this out. So, you get you have a social media post or some news story or something, and it's about an animal. Quickly, the the non informed public is but emotional, and I love animals. Going to either apply a happy face or a sad face, right? An angry, the red Absolutely. face. And I submit, and it's the cover of my podcast that it's the thinking face. That there's so much more to these stories, the depth. And that's really true of anything, politics, everything, human stories, that we we need to drill down a little bit more. And I even refer to it as the uncomfortable middle. And there's no better example of that than this utopian wild that we see people when they're talking about endangered species, some of the cat, uh, tigers, and of course, Asian elephants, right? Let them go. Why do you want these animals in captivity? It's horrible. They don't need to be zoos or these, you know, let them go. And your, your, again, your expertise on this is great. And I'm so glad you brought up that you're supporting animals in the quote unquote wild, but animals are managed in game parks, even very large ones, but the utopian wild doesn't exist. And all the money that's raised by animal rights groups, I'm getting ready to do a story, and it was a Fox uh, News story, we're in AP, that the ASPCA uh, president makes almost a million dollars a year as is uh, the CEO, and that they have 300, 300 million offshore in accounts. You're, you're sending five and $10,000, and you're actually getting information back that says they were able to hire more rangers I always tell people I'm hardly an expert on these countries at all, but I do know that they're not making a hundred thousand dollars per game, you know, uh, game ranger or you know that type of thing. They're they're existing on such little uh, money and doing such hard work, and that's when I that's part of why I started the podcast because I was so upset that this I don't, it's misinformation, but it's just emotion. They don't want to know some of these elephant um, groups that are out there and big cat groups don't really want to know the details because it's not as it's not happy and it's not sad. It's just a drill down to the middle to find out what this is all about. And um, I I'm so impressed you do put your money where your mouth is. And yes, the International Elephant Foundation they gave me a statistic, but it's the majority of their dollar, your dollar goes directly to the animals. And I've always, uh, throughout my podcast, noted that they're one of the places to send money. <clears throat> so I appreciate your talking about that. Um, that that number you just threw out there, the, the salary is just, it's just mind boggling. It's sickening, we, frankly, you know. <laughs> We, uh, people ask me, we, we get asked a lot about volunteering at Growler Pines or, or if, if we're looking to hire somebody and, and my response always is hire somebody. Do you know how much it costs me to work here? <laughs> uh, my, uh, my, uh, we both work, my wife and I, we both work second jobs. I, I, I do know. contract jobs to bring in extra money. My, my wife works overnight at Walmart every yeah. day yeah. to be able to support not only the animals, but, but our family as well. Um, and the irony, Ryan, you're up against it with someone like Carol Buckley. Uh, you know, those people may, uh, I'm sorry, not Carol, Carol Baskin, another, another one, Carol Baskin, um, and from Tiger King fame. And she just sold her compound here in Tampa and the big cats went somewhere. But 
her goal is to put folks like you and Kay Rosera and that out of business, right? That leave these animals alone in the wild and it's a shame and we shouldn't have them. And, you know, I have a lot of issues with that. I'm not, and you, you noted CITES. We're not getting animals out of the wild, nor have we elephants and cats, any endangered species. The Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species, CITES, was 1975, somewhere in that area. So animals have not been imported into the United States from the wild. So any animals that are older than that, which would be 50s, are um, were born here. And yes, we want animals to be in the wild. And to your point, you're, you're providing money and funding to help that. However, it's it again it's uh, it's there's more to that story because even with elephants the conflicts between humans and elephants you're you're in southeast asia and the elephant goes through your crops and tears down your house which i just saw on a social media post you don't care if you're killing an endangered species your family just lost their ability to eat and have a cover over them so there's so much more yeah, to the story I, I- a couple of great examples of, of too close to home is, uh, you know, several years ago that that alligator, you know, uh, killed the child in, yeah. in the Disney park yeah. and uh, they killed 50 alligators looking for the one that was responsible. The grizzly bear is on the state flag of California, but the last grizzly bear was killed in the 1800s yeah. um, to, to make life safer for the settlers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just in the area where we live. Um, I, I, I bring this topic up a lot with local farmers because, um, we have, we call them the Mexican buzzards. I, I don't know what their scientific name is, but they're the, the white tipped, uh, buzzards. They, they're not the carny, uh, they're not the eaters of carrion. They will, they will find a newborn calf, peck its eyes out until it wanders away from mom so that they can then eat it as it is. Um, but as a, it is considered a migratory species. And yeah. so those animals are protected by federal law. And, but the farmers here, you know, you, they have a right to protect, to protect their, their livelihood as well. Sure. And when you, when you extrapolate this to a farmer in Nepal, losing a cow to a tiger, well, he's, he's just lost his entire year's income exactly. being able to provide for his family or God forbid you lose a child. I, again, yeah. try try explaining that you need to protect the endangered species. They just lost a child. They have a right to protect they, you know, they right. and theirs. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a difficult situation that doesn't always have a right answer or or a black and white answer. Right. But, but we're so you know, animals, full of emotion in this country. We seem to have the latitude. I think more than other places I've been in the world, and not not heavily traveled, but I've been to places. We, we just operate on emotion and we love animals and all that. But yet we we give money to organizations that don't prove they actually take care of animals. And we refuse to understand that there's not a utopian wild and that there are people working so hard to with, with little amounts of money and making progress. I went to the Elephant Managers Association and again, you're, you're, an amazing resource on elephants, your expertise. So I went up to the conference last year in uh, Milwaukee. And by the way, it'll be closer to you this year. I don't know if you'll be able to go, but in Dallas. And, I, I um, think I'm going to. Yeah, it's in Fort Worth this year. Yeah, fantastic. So the Asian Elephant Specialist Group, who is connected with uh, International Elephant Foundation in some loose way, but they did a presentation. And with, I want to say, five or $10,000 they actually showed that they bought a small refrigerator for a one of the huts that was in the middle of the park where some of the rangers, you know, live and even a vet comes, but there's one light bulb like hanging and a small refrigerator which and getting that was a big deal because then they can actually leave some medicine there and to get their mm-hmm. broken down jeep in running order. And they thought Christmas had come. You know, they thought they'd won the lottery and I wish people understood those stories more because there there are so many dollars donated to animals that that unfortunately aren't going to the right place. But let's get back to your place. So you have tigers at your place and these are tigers that were not not obviously not from the wild. But tell me what it's like when you see people that get to see a tiger for the first time 
within a, a few feet, six feet, whatever it is, um, behind the fences at your place. Obviously, they're not touching them directly, but what what is what impact is that? What do you see in that? I, I think one of the one of the first responses that we get is is how close everyone is able to see the animals. Yeah, and because we do we do present our training demonstrations. If it was up to the tigers, they're just going to lay around and sleep all day, unless <laughs> unless we're going to feed in front of the public, which yeah. which we're not going to, um, or unless the weather is cooler or there's extenuating circumstances. Tigers are what Elaine likes to call professional nappers. They sleep sixteen to twenty hours a day. <laughs> so the majority of the public that comes to see our animals, they've never even seen animals, tigers specifically, yeah. being as active as they are, or they're not able to see the personalities of our particular animals as they come through, as I interact with them. Yeah. And that's something that we very heavily uh, present and show and describe for the public is um, during, you know, it's, it's a traditional circus behavior. We call it the group lay down, all the tigers lay down, you know, side to side. And I kneel down in, in between them. And, and we talk not only, you know, we point out some of those differences physically on how people can tell them apart. And it's certainly much easier when you see them lying face to face. You can see those differences in the shape of their head, their bodies, their stripes, their coloration. We talk about their personalities. Zaya, who's very spoiled. <laughs> Jasmine, who's incredibly eager and enthusiastic to participate. Our big lazy boys. Uh, Zulu at the end, who's about as sharp as a bowling ball on her best day. <laughs> um, and so people are getting to see a side that they've never, yeah. probably never even considered existed. And, and, as, and as we continue with some of the, some of the behaviors that they're trained for, one of the first things that we open with after the finger painting is Diego stands up on the, on the side of the, on the, on the wall there. And I stand underneath him with my hands stretched completely as high as I can. I'm touching the middle of his chest. He, he towers over me and it's, yeah. I take it for granted. I, I'm trying to make sure that he doesn't try to come off and try to lay on my shoulder. Cause he's about 460 pounds. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But I look at pictures sometimes, you know, the, the public will snap a picture and I'll see it on social media or, or uh, my wife likes to play paparazzi behind me and she'll show me a picture later. And now uh, I good. Just, just when I back up to him, when he's sitting on his pedestal and he'll lay his head next to my head, I, I take it for granted. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make sure he doesn't slobber on me. I'm trying to make sure he's not poking me in the eye with a whisker. And of course I'm making sure that he minds his manners because he is a tiger. He's, he's yeah. trained but he's not a tame animal. Uh, but I, I take that for granted. And and then I'll see a photo of, of him laying his head next to mine and three times the size of mine. And it, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's all inspiring even for me who I, and I've been doing this for so long. So for the public to be able to see that and to see what we're able to build with so much time and patience and, and, and a heck of a lot of meat as well. Uh, it, it's great for them to have those interactions and, one of my favorite parts is getting to play up on those personalities. Um, my boy Zeus, he's, he's, uh, we're actually celebrating he and, and Diego's ninth birthday this coming Saturday at our public tour. Lily has been, she organized a, or she, she designed a flyer. She's organizing all kinds of decoration and activities for the birthday party this weekend. Ah, great. But Zeus is a very vocal animal. Uh, he's a very vocal animal. So when he rolls over and he sits up, uh, he usually lets out a pretty good roar. And uh, we had we had about 150 uh, kids here two weeks ago for a field trip. And as soon as he did, I turned around and it was just a perfect timing because I could see the look of the gasping look on all of these kids faces. And, uh, good thing they're a little bit older because I think they're uh, they were all potty trained. We had some messes because <laughs> it certainly it certainly took them all by surprise, um, and it was great. We had so many kids say, "Oh wow, he is loud! Oh wow, that was cool!" Because again, it's it's making it exciting. It, it's not just me kissing tigers on the nose the whole time. But Ryan, but to also, have so many, also very important. Ryan is that you have kids coming out, and they're getting a different message than they're getting from the popular narrative about. You know, we need these. It's we shouldn't have these animals in captivity or human care because they've co-opted the word captivity. And um, mm -hmm. I love it. I know the endangered arc. I was there and they had them feeding bananas to the elephants, and the awe on those kids' faces was just amazing. So 
thank goodness that you and others like you do this important work because at least there'll be some kids out there who don't, may not buy into the messaging, you know, and understand that to see these animals is awe-inspiring. And CGI, computer-generated or National Geographic or videos, aren't going to save our animals. And we have to have human help, human breeding programs, human intervention to save animals and to take care of them. And also I want to note, you said talked about doing your demonstrations and that, Zoos have done away with shows, citing kind of like Ringling, citing that the public didn't want to see it. That's not true. They're they're listening to people who don't come and see for themselves. They're listening to people who have an ideology or philosophy or following the mantra of some group they belong to. When there is a show, it's packed, right? Kay Rosair at the Big Cat Habitat here in Sarasota, where I am right now, their show is packed. People come at 2 o'clock. They see an influx at 1.30. And sh- zoos that still do shows, they're packed. So they're taking them away from people, citing that people don't want to see them, but it's really not true. So thank you for keeping that going and bringing kids out. And I, I've seen you in person do your shows and explain the animals, and it's great. You do a fantastic job. So thanks for I appreciate that. We, we offer a very, a very discounted rate from our, our regular prices for field trips to encourage, to encourage schools to bring their kids here. And and of course we live in Southeast Oklahoma. Um, You know, the nearest, the nearest major city zoo to us is is three hours away. So we offer an opportunity for kids to come and, you know, I, our daughter is not allowed to have electronics. We, we watch TV as a family occasionally. Uh, And when I say TV, a, a, a movie because we don't actually have TV. Um, <laughs> you don't have time kids, for it. Anyhow. Don't remember. <laughs> no, no, we don't. We, we eat dinner at nine 30 because it's too, there's still light outside at eight 30 to come Make inside. While the sun um, shines. <laughs> yes. So, but you know, kids, kids are not going to remember what they saw on the internet even okay. 10 minutes ago. But when those kids that I can't tell you how many, kids if, if they if they come for a field trip or even just with their family they'll buy a little stuffed tiger a little souvenir and the first thing i always ask is what are you going to name your tiger and nine times out of ten if it's a white tiger they're naming it jasmine and uh, i oh, said that's yeah. a great name that's my little princess that's why i named her after the Aladdin movie yeah i said that's my princess that's a great yeah. name or, or i want to name it diego like it because he was so big and, you know, it just shows just the importance of their names on helping these kids to make a connection and yes. something that they're not just taking home a souvenir, but they're taking home memories that are that are going to last a lifetime. Absolutely. And it, it's so invaluable. What is it? Uh, you know, again, we're an audio podcast. Give me a visual on or in the, the feeling of what does a tiger feel like? What is their, um, you know, what is their their pelt, if you will, their fur feel like what describe that if you can put it into words. Yeah. So right now the tigers have been losing their winter coats. We're almost done with it every day. I am brushing tigers. I'm hosing them off. We're using a leaf blower. I come out between the sweat and the tiger slobber and the meat (laughs) juice on my hand from their treats. I come out every day feeling like a chia pet. And yeah. uh, I made that joke during a, during a field trip last week and, and I got a bunch of blank stairs except from the couple of teachers. Cause you know, nobody <laughs> under the age of what 30 knows what a chia pet is anyway, yeah, Exactly. but, but yeah, they, they can be very soft depending on where that hair is. Um, depending on their genetics, you know, some, some tigers will have a lot more hair around the base of their neck from that, from that a more tiger influence. Um, Right. And something very cool, you know, we tell people, you know, just like when you drive your car down the road, there are laws you have to follow. There are laws that we have to follow to be able to share our animals with the public. And one of those is, is it is illegal for the public to have contact with a tiger of, of, of any size now. Right. And so something that I'll do is I will brush Zaya as we're talking about our veterinary care, I'll brush her right there during the tour, pull that hair off the curry comb and I'll offer it to the public and let them, let them touch that hair. Of course, we don't let them take any because it is a part of an endangered species. Uh, but the people say how surprised they are about how soft that is. And then we'll immediately switch hands and let them touch a tiger whisker. Tight. They lose their whiskers just like, you know, we lose hair off of our head. I couldn't tell you how many whiskers I have. We probably have 10,000 over the, 
over oh, the last 14 years. Yeah. But tigers are tiger, as soft as that tiger hair is, those tiger whiskers are stiff enough that some people will use them as a, uh, as a toothpick. toothpick. <laughs> and so it's, it's cool for people to be able to see some of that stuff. And, yeah. and we show our, we have a, during the demonstration, I'll pick up Zaya's foot and, and the public is close enough, even in the, in the bleacher seating that I, I will push out one of Zaya's claws and they can see how sharp that is. Um, with yeah. Diego, I'll, while he's laying there next to me, I will open up his mouth and they can see how big his teeth are. Right. Um, and so while we can't actually have some of that contact, we can't have any contact with the public, but they are able to get a better idea of, of kind of how they feel with, with some of those hands-on activities and, and getting to see some of those ups of close. And what are you like 10 feet? The, the public, the, worst thing is, the public could be about 10 feet or so from your cats, 12 feet. It's yeah, close our, enough our, to be our very public fences close. Are just, yeah. Yeah. Our public fences are a little bit less than that. Okay. Um, we, we are not, an, our facility is not something that you're able to just walk around and roam on your own. Everything is a guided tour. Yeah. And because of that, and because we do offer limited, limited group sizes, we're able to, you know, to ensure safety, but we are able to offer that opportunity for the public to be closer because they're not just roaming on their own. And we don't have to rely on the honor system of making sure everybody respects the fences. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always like to. I always like, I, I make two real good jokes here in the tour. One is when we offer a photo opportunity for our private groups, I, you know, we'll, we'll bring Zeus up to the front and I say, okay, you guys can come down out of the seats. You will have to stay on your side of the short fence, not the tall one. Cause we don't give back body parts. And <laughs> I told a couple of kids the other day, they kept asking if they could pet the tiger. I said, no, you can't pet tiger stop asking me i said uh of course i'm joking when i say yeah i said you know yeah so you know what happened if the tigers would try to if you would try to put the tigers like no i said i said well the tigers are going to eat you and then that's going to make them sick and i'm going to have to call the veterinarian and it's just going to be a whole horrible thing <laughs> and they just, they kind of get that horrified look on their face like oh i didn't think about that yeah and then uh, you know the teachers would say then we have to call your parents and explain why you're not coming home and you know, <laughs> we we do we somewhat make light of it but, yeah you know, we are we are very we are very careful to, to share that while I have more contact, I don't think you could have any closer contact with the tiger than what I do. Um, that, you know, we are professionals that we have spent a lot of time building this relationship with our animals, right. that we work very carefully right. to maintain that relationship, to practice safety. And, uh, and as I tell our visitors, it's my job to make it look easy. That's you know, they, right. don't, they don't see the hours of practice and interaction and, right. and, and just spending time with them to, to maintain that relationship and maintain those, those good manners. And Ryan, so you just hit, hit on something I wanted to ask you. So why, why shouldn't everyone own a tiger or why is it important that everyone doesn't own a tiger? Maybe better said, why I know there are laws around the country, which I agree with, where somebody just for fun decides they want to have a cat. Um, I don't know if you want to talk to that just a little bit. What are the parameters for somebody who should be able to do this versus not? Well, so it's something that we address every day during our tours, because I think it's very important that people re realize you're seeing that the animals are cared for. You're seeing our relationship but we have documented evidence to prove and to support our claims of us, how we take care of our animals. Right. And in doing so, I explain in the United States, if you are sharing your animals with the public, you are required to be licensed and regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, it doesn't matter if you call yourself a zoo, a circus, a sanctuary, a private owner. We all have the same rules, the same regulations. Uh, where we are here, I have I have the same federal license as the Tulsa Zoo, and I have the same federal inspector as the Tulsa Zoo. He may yeah. be there tomorrow, and then he's here the next day. Yeah. To go with that, when we traveled, I I would not be able to tell you how many countless local and state inspections we had. Um, I remember traveling in Central Texas, and we saw I saw no less than seven different inspectors in five different towns. Yep. through the period of five days. Um, but with our federal inspection record, that one I do know. Our, I was licensed by the United States Department of Agriculture 
Oh, let's see here. 11 years ago. Uh, actually, 11 years ago uh, here next month. In those 11 years, we have 37 consecutive surprise inspections by the federal government without a single issue. It is a record nearly unmatched. I don't know of anybody else that has a record like that in yeah. such a short time period. Yeah. Uh, we are very proud of that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing if you don't travel and you are, you know, constant, you have the same inspector and you have the same facility, you know, the majority of those inspections are when we were traveling around the country and you have a different inspector that may have a different interpretation of the rules or a different perspective or opinion on whether you should even have those animals in a circus environment or a traveling situation. Um, you know, I, I've actually, I've been inspected, uh, you know, I, I've had inspectors that um, didn't like members of my family that also work with animals. And, and so, you know, when that, when I found that out, I was like, this isn't going to affect my inspection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it didn't, we had, we had a clean inspection. Um, but, but yes, it's, it's more, not just a financial uh, obligation and, and requirements and, and um, that you have it again, the, you know how much it costs us to work a growler. <laughs> we work second jobs to be able to support everything. The the loans, the outstanding loans hanging over our heads. But but we did it because we wanted to keep our animals in our family. And one day we this will all be taken care of, and we'll be able to continue to hopefully offer a home to other animals um, as well. But you know, and the the time requirement. My daughter. You know, it's, it's summer break now. She just finished summer school last week. She wants to go on vacation. My wife and I have not, have yet to have our, our honeymoon. Yeah. And we're not, we're not world travelers. We joke if, if, if we had our choice of a honeymoon, we would drive six hours south and, and visit uh, Gary and Carrie Johnson down at the preserve. They yeah. are, they are our heroes. Um, they set the gold standard of which we can only dream to try to see from our lowly places below them. Uh, I know he doesn't like when I say things like that, but that's truly how I feel. Um, but we, would, we, would, we would drive six the, hours and visit, visit them. Yeah. The preserve in yes, Frederick in, in or Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg Texas. Texas they, yeah. Fredericksburg, Texas. Yeah. They, again, they, they set a gold standard that most of us can't even pretend to see. Yes. Um, but, but to have that goal. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, it's, it's such a, it's such a, a commitment and you know, there's no days off. There's no time off. It's we, we've been under, we're under heat advisory here. And so I'm going out and working for about an hour, hour and a half. I come in for about half an hour and cool off. I head back out, you know, trying to, trying to get stuff done, knocked out and bits and pieces here. But it, the day doesn't stop just because it's hot. It doesn't stop because it's cold. And, right. Why do we you don't have, we have a little bit less of a strict schedule than when we traveled with the circus, but we still maintain that. And why do you do it, Ryan? At the end of the day, why do you do it? Why do I do it? Uh, I, I do it now specifically for my animals because they deserve it. Um, I do it because I think it's important that we share our animals. We have a responsibility to do so. Uh, I do it because I want to continue our conservation work. And, you know, if we're just both working at Walmart or, or welding on a, on a fence line, we're not going to be able to offer the, the support as we did when we traveled with the circus. Uh, I do it because my daughter deserves to have something to inherit one day. And, and I would love for her to be able to continue this lifestyle. Um, and I always wanted to work with animals. That's, that's why I ran away with the circus when I, when I was younger. Uh, it's why we sacrifice everything to be able to continue to live this life. But you, you can make a life or you can make a living for yourself. We are, we are fortunate enough to be able to do both with our animals. Great. Well said. And we're glad that you ran away with the circus because you've definitely been a uh, plus and, and done such a great job and your family, Elaine and Lily. So thank you for all you do. Any last thoughts you want to add as we wrap up? Oh, you know, I, we love for everybody, you know, visit us on our Facebook page at, at Growler Pines Tiger Preserve. We're always sharing photos and videos, um, you know, we, we'd love for you to come visit us if possible. Uh, you know, that can always be a little bit more difficult depending on where you're coming from. But, you know, it's while, while we always say, our, you know, our animals are, we don't, we don't throw out that word rescue. Um, none of, while we do have some animals that were given a better home, 
Um, we don't capitalize on that. Um, they are here. They have a forever retirement home and we will provide for them as, as long as we can. I, I saw this post on social media a couple of weeks ago. Their, their leopard is turning 16 years old, 16. That's a pretty good age for a leopard. Wow. And uh, they're talking about how, when this animal was six weeks old, they rescued it from somebody who used it in a magic act at six months old. It is now 16 years old. I think it's time that we stop. You want to talk about exploiting an animal. Let's stop there. You've had the animal for 16 years. Yeah. You have it. Let's stop trying to pull on those heartstrings. Stop trying to capitalize on if that animal even did have previous misfortunes. Let's not try to pull every dollar that we can out of it. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned Carol Baskin and here, how many millions and millions? Well, I know how many millions. She makes a million dollars herself a year as head of her nonprofit. That's, that's a joke there. Um, and now they've, you know, relocated their animals, raising millions more on the same animals that have already had those millions raised on them. Yep. And uh, yeah. now she's going to sell her property for millions more because she didn't want to put the investment into maintaining it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at, I look at that money and we, we had just, uh, we have several, one particular benefactor who, as he says, it is not him that has made this decision. God has blessed him and, and the money just passes through him to us. We would never have been able to open our doors if not for this individual. We would not still be continuing today if not for this individual. Um, I got a phone call two days ago from from another friend, a, a lifelong circus, circus fan, circus friend, um, and he heard about us needing to replace our, our pools for the tigers. And he is sending us a check to be able to replace almost all of them. Fantastic. Um, you know, it's just, we, the ability of us to be able to stretch a dollar. And so this, the, the ability of us to be able to stretch a dollar to, to accommodate our animals, we're not building a million dollar rock wall because it looks pretty in the back. Um, you know, yes, you know, you have fencing and you have to look through the fences, but it's, it's the most cost effective so that we can give our animals bigger areas for them to, to find a spot to lay down in the shade. Um, well, you know, Ryan, I can say we're, we're thankful to your benefactors because you're the one who can safely and lovingly your family care for these animals and they realize the importance of that. So they're helping you do that. So God bless them and you for the noble work you do. And uh, hello to your family, Elaine and Lily. And uh, I hope people will come out and see you. It's it's you're in the center of the country, so it's a great road trip. Let's face it. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> thank you for being on the podcast, and all the best with uh, the Growler Pines Tiger Preserve. And uh, I'll put all the information in show notes, your social media, and such as well. But thank you. I appreciate your being. Oh, uh, we sure. Uh, we appreciate the invites. It was nice to take a break from the heat today. So I sound like a broken record, but I say it in every podcast. Go see for yourself, if at all possible. It's important to see these animals, and not just at the larger zoos. Sometimes there's a comment that a small facility, or even they're called roadside zoos sometimes, can't do a good job. On the contrary, the, the personal attention, and in this case, Ryan and Elaine and Lily, have built this place brick by brick and uh, post by post and cared for these animals. And they are wonderful at explaining to their guests and, and highlighting these animals. There are plenty of other facilities around the country, not only the AZA zoos and the large zoos, which Ryan highlighted, not everybody could get to, but the Zoological Association of, the, of America represents some of the smaller facilities and just some wonderful places where you can see animals and fall in love with animals and truly do what's in the best interest of animals by supporting them and letting these animals be ambassadors for their species. It's up to us as humans to take care of them even in the wild. So they must be managed and so learn about them, find out more, check out all the show notes and uh, see what Growler Pines Tiger Preserve is all about. As always, please share this podcast. It's important to me to tell these stories. Subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes and rate and review us. I hope you'll listen next time for more animal tales. 